The opinions and views expressed in this video are purely for entertainment purposes and not for investment advice. Afternoon, YouTube. Welcome back to Jack of All Trades. Brendan is back from Florida. And of course, we have Kaylin and Sam on the production. Uh, let's get right into it. Um, Kaylin, do you want to talk about AMC? It's a big story for the last week or so. I love talking about AMC. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so like, obviously, you know, we're kind of at a point now where it's had like a pretty decent run up and then you can see it kind of smack down a little bit. So I kind of want to touch base on just a few of the just a few of the things that like, you know, David, I know you and I were talking about was bound to happen eventually. We just didn't know when and it all kind of started to come to a head this week. So like we were basically saying, you know, as a company, like the, the, there's one thing that the company wants to happen, right? Like the company's bankrupt. Um, you know, there's there's different numbers all over the place. Like if I look at, you know, Filings Pro, it's saying they got a couple billion in debt. If I look at Yahoo Finance, it's saying they're 11 billion in debt. Um, you know, like their their quarterly, what was it? Their their one year loss was like 2.2 billion, I think, last year. So like, you know, like this thing on paper is just an absolute nightmare, right? So the whole the whole reason everybody was buying this was just for the short squeeze. They thought there was too many people that were short. It was the most heavily shorted stock. And they basically just wanted to get enough retail people in there to buy and that those guys had to start like forcing them to cover. That was the whole thesis, right? So, but David and I kept talking and we were saying like, there's only one end game for this, right? Is the CEO is going to have to do a ton of offerings to raise money so his company doesn't go bankrupt because they only had, I think, like five or six months of cash left on hand. So like at some point, this guy's going to just do a bunch of offerings, you know, start flooding this into the market. And I think it was, was it like maybe three, four weeks ago? I remember he was talking about that, like 500 million share offering. And then he, he went on CNBC or something and he, he promised that he wasn't going to do any offerings. You remember that? Did he? I don't remember that. You don't remember that? No. Yeah. The, the CEO, he went on, he went on TV and he was like talking about it. And I guess all the guys on Twitter were like, no, don't do that. Cause it'd kill the stock. Right. And then he basically just said, okay, I promise that I won't do any offerings. And then it was left at that. So everyone's like, you know, all pumped. They're like, yeah, you know, CEO's on our side and everything. Then of course, you know, we get to this week, the thing rips up to like 70 some odd dollars and the offerings start coming in, right? Which is obviously bound to happen. And then Brendan, what like what did the CEO actually say? Well, it's super interesting that you said the CEO was on their side of class A shareholders, because I'm not gonna tell you whether or not you should invest in AMC stock, but if you look at the filing for the most recent financing, the company stated. Under the circumstances, we caution you against investing in our class A common stock unless you are prepared to incur the risk of losing all or a substantial portion of your investment. Does that sound like a guy that's on your side of the class A shareholders? I love that. <laughs> so, so what you're saying is here, the, the CEO is telling you, do not buy my company. And of course, everybody on Twitter says, no, 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 buy the company. No, 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 buy the company, right? The squeeze is coming. The squeeze is coming. Like, guys, the reality is, you know, I'm not like none of us are sitting here saying it's not going to go to $1,000 a share. Let's put it this way, like on paper. OK, like I don't know the whole backstory. I don't know options. I know that was a big part of it. Everyone was saying there's going to be some like epic gamma squeeze or something. I, don't, I can't even get into that because I don't understand that at all. Um, but basically, let's say on paper, you know, this could happen, right? On paper, this thing if they force all these people to cover and everybody, you know, everybody that's in AMC is like one of these apes, they call themselves every paycheck. They just keep buying more. Let's say the stock can go to hundred thousand dollars a share, right? On paper, like, okay, so sure. That might make sense. But what you don't realize is that on these type of stocks, as soon as you start getting that momentum up, you start getting those big moves, like 
over the weekend, we had that long weekend, right? Right before AMC went crazy. So what happens over the weekend is it starts perking up a little bit and then you have so much more news coverage. You know, like I, I saw people posting on Twitter, like in New York, there was billboards on the side of buildings saying like AMC strong, buy our stock. Like it was everywhere. It was on buses, like all over the place, right? So what happens? Now you have all these people who have just been sitting there, you know, anxious for weeks and they think, oh, should I buy it? Should I not buy it? All of a sudden, all your buddies that were in it from 10 bucks, now it's up to 40 bucks. And they're saying, man, you got to get into this thing. You got to buy this thing. And then they're all saying, okay, great. You know, screw it. We'll, we'll buy the stock. We'll buy into it, right? Rips up even higher. You know, you get some people get squeezed out or whatever. Shoots up to 70 bucks. And then, you know, we had our first big tank, right? It halted down from 70 bucks down to, I think that one morning it was like 72 or 76 pre-market. And it went down to 38 bucks or something like that. Like that's that that when I was talking to David, I remember saying like that was the first time that any of these guys got that, you know, holy shit moment that they they didn't realize this thing can can fall that fast. Right. Like, I mean, this can happen where stocks go from 70 bucks to, to five bucks in a day. It, it can and it does happen. Right. I've seen it before. Um, so all these people are getting their first little taste of fear. And it was the funniest thing because. Every morning, you know, I wake up and I'm, I'm on the markets at 4 a.m. I'm, I'm going through Twitter or whatever. I'm looking. And this was the first day since probably January that I saw a huge shift in the narrative on AMC. Like every morning, you know, we were seeing, you know, dips of, of 10, 15 bucks a share and guys all over the place. No, this thing's great. Buy more. Awesome. Buy the dip. This is perfect. This is the first morning that everybody's saying, you know, what should I do? Like everybody's asking questions. What should I do? Should I hold? Like. You think I should sell? Like I bought it 30 bucks. Is that too late? Should I like there, there was just this whole thing going on? And like it was it was probably like 40% of the comments now are people going like, oh, like what what do I do? What do I do? Like, you know, they're panicking because like they got so much money in this and they don't know how to get out of this thing, right? So you got on the one hand, people saying, Oh no, it's gonna go to a thousand bucks a share, you're gonna be able to retire. And then on the other hand, you got all these people that are now seeing like, wow, this thing can drop just as fast as it goes up, right? Because what happens, like if, if you look at the grand scheme of things, what happens when you get these big squeezes up, that's panic buying as well as shorts covering. So at all at the same time, it doesn't seem like it, but you have added selling pressure. Because what happens is you get the squeeze up, right? So you're, you're forcing all these shorts to cover, which means there's less buying pressure. And then at the same time, you have all these panic buyers chasing the stock up, right? Which adds selling pressure because now as it comes down off that parabolic move, you now have less shorts in the play and now you have more longs in the play at a worse average. So that like those kind of moves instantly just reverse the whole momentum of that play. And that's what we saw. I think it was last, uh, was it last Wednesday or last Thursday when we had that big parabolic move. And then we basically had one day of kind of indecision. And then Friday, we basically just sold off for most of the day. And then the after hours, it kind of trickled down again. So what you're going to have now is you're going to have all these people who were up, you know, they say they put 10,000 bucks in at $10, you know, they're up 70 grand at one point in their accounts and they're just holding it because they're thinking, oh, it's going to go to a thousand, you know, I'm going to make tons of money. And now all of a sudden they were up 70 and now they're only up, you know, say like 25 or 30,000. Like, you know, that, that hurts, right? Like that stings. So now all these people, you know, are going to be thinking, okay, well, you know, let's just wait, maybe we'll get one more little pop and I'll just take it off. Right. Like it, it just totally changes the mentality of everyone. Like this whole, you know, this whole ape strong thing, it only lasts so long and then everything breaks down. Like all it takes is a couple people to start selling. The whole system shuts down, right? Like what, what do you guys think about all that? 
Well, at least they recognize what they are and they're being honest with themselves. They're not calling themselves geniuses here. They're calling themselves apes. So this is the first time that I've ever seen this with any stock market bubble when people recognize that they're not smart. Um, they're just being reckless and degenerate gamblers. Yeah. Reminds yeah. me of uh, the scene in like, I don't know if you remember the movie back in the day from uh, saw Black Hawk Down. It's when uh, the soldiers went to Mogadishu. And I remember like there is like, it was like a 40 minute battle scene and all the Rangers and the Green Berets like rushed in. And at some point these two guys found themselves by themselves and they have no idea where everyone else is. <laughs> and I just keep seeing that, that, that possibility happening to AMC stock where there's going to be a couple of apes of like, hold the line, hold the line. Meanwhile, everyone else yeah. is the fuck up. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, it just totally changes the narrative and people don't realize that. The other thing too, that like I just wanted to mention just as like from what I'm seeing from guys that actually know how to trade is um, like the, like some of the guys that mentored me, like one of them has been doing this full time for seven years. And he said he's only seen this once before in his seven years. So this is the second time he's seen this where you get one of these like, you know, these, these garbage companies has a massive run up and then it comes back. So he's only seen that twice in seven years. And then one of the other guys that I learned from who actually mentored that guy, he's been trading for, I think, 20, 22 or 23 years now. And he was saying he's, he says he can remember three, maybe four times in that whole 22 year period where this has happened. So I just wanted to I just wanted to let that let, like let people know. I'm like, you know, this is this is through the dot com bubble. This is through Bitcoin. This is through all these huge moments in history where we had like, you know, crazy interest in the market. And these guys that have been doing it for 20 years are saying when you get a massive run up on a stock like that and it tanks, you know, they're only seeing this maybe three or four times over a 20 year period. So the odds of AMC failing were basically 99%. So the reality is that anybody who invested in this, it, you know, despite how many people were in it and how, how much it was on Twitter, there was a 99% chance of failure on this stock. That's, that's just the reality. So I just, you know, I'm, I'm not, I'm not saying it was a bad move or anything, like it's great if you made money. I'd say take your money and get out and don't do it again. Because if you do it again, you're gonna try and double down or whatever's gonna happen. And you know you have a 1% chance of success and you're gonna lose all your money. And the, the reality is if you wanna become a successful trader and you wanna actually be able to make money consistently, the mental damage from that is going to be so traumatizing. It's going to be near impossible to come back from something like that and and get to the stages where you're trying to make, you know, 10 bucks a trade, 20 bucks a trade. If on your first ever trade, you made $100,000. Like it, it's just, it's going to wipe you right out of the market. So I just wanted to kind of caution people against that. I'm sorry to tell you, but they're going to do it again and they're going to have to learn the lesson one way or another here. It's a school of hard knocks at the end of the day. If you didn't learn a lesson this time, whether it was with Dogecoin or some of the very speculative uh, growthy names that don't have any earnings or even don't have any revenues, you're going to learn one way. And uh, that's how you learn in the market. You got to make mistakes. Yeah. Yeah. It's just, it's unfortunate when you see people because it just like, especially when you have this much hype behind a stock too, because I remember seeing, I think we talked about one of the podcasts. I remember seeing it in Bitcoin and stuff where, you know, it, it was really sad because I was, I was reading forums after, and there was these people that were like, you know, in their sixties and seventies or, or like, or were married or like whatever the situation was. And people were going like, Oh my God, I mortgaged my house and I bought all this stock and now it's worth nothing. Like I I'm 70 years old and I put my whole retirement in this because everybody told me it was going to go to a thousand dollars a share. Now I have nothing and I have to go back to work. And like, you know, like it's, 
like it infuriates people... me so much it infuriates me like if you make a call and you do your own dd and you actually make a call on your own and you're bullish on a name and you know you put a lot of money down and you lose and the stock doesn't go the way that you want it to go that's one thing but if you fall for the hype and the fomo and you follow the herd and you feel that way because everyone told you that you were going to make x amount of money and this was the new this or the next that then shame on you like you just you have nobody to blame but yourself so mm -hmm. it's uh it's just really infuriating everyone uh, i just want to urge people to uh make your own decisions when it comes to investing yeah it's 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 the thing though is that like you get people that aren't educated and all they hear you know like take amc again for example you know we have three months of this stock being all over twitter all over twitter like you know everybody talking about it like i remember you know i've, I've heard like I've had my friends trying to tell me to buy it for months and months. And I keep, I'm like, no, like this, this isn't, this isn't a long, like this isn't a long for me. Like this stock has a 99% chance of failure. I'm not buying this stock. Right. When like, you're I talking about three months, three months to me is a flash in the pan. When you're talking about long-term investing of like years and decades, three months to me, it's like, it's nothing. You know, we have a bubble every year, whether it's cannabis or it's hydrogen or uranium or gold or crude oil. There's always a bubble somewhere, emerging markets. And a lot of these moves, they're not sustainable. Yeah. And that's, that's what people don't realize though, is they, they just fall into the hype, right? And they don't know anything about the markets. And then you couple that with, you know, YouTube, all these guys that are sitting there day after day, live streaming, just, you know, just AMC in this case saying, oh, this is why it's going to go up. This is why it's going to go up. This is all the new information. And then you feed that to people. And then those people, you know, they just start spitting out big words that they don't understand, you know, oh, gamma squeeze, oh, market cap, oh, the float, oh, the short sellers, like, and they start saying that to their friends and their relatives. And then they're thinking, oh, well, the, you know, this guy sounds like he knows what he's talking about, right? So like, I see what you're, what you're saying, Brandon, where it's like, you know, shame on them. But the reality is like, they don't understand and like they're they're just going off you know like if like david it's like if you take us like in bodybuilding for example like you know you have someone come up to you, he's like oh yeah you know like you train like this and you bench like that and you eat this amount of protein you know just start like throwing out all the terms and it's like oh okay this guy this guy sounds like he knows what he's talking about so i'll listen to him right it's the same thing and then they make these decisions based on that because they're so confident in the move and this person keeps feeding them this information and then you're on youtube and twitter and they're just getting you know 24 hours a day constant it's like it's like brainwashing almost right so it's like it's almost not even any fault to the person but that's just why at this point you know while while the stock is still up again i'm not telling anybody to sell i'm not telling anybody to buy i'm just saying you guys got to be really careful and i would say if it was me at the very least i'd be locking in at least some profits now because the odds at this point of the thing going to a hundred or a thousand dollars a share is dwindling away by the second so we're not telling anybody to sell, and I'm sorry to interrupt you, David, but we said the same thing on this podcast about there being an echo chamber of people saying to buy. Uh, we were bearish on Bitcoin at 60,000. We were bearish on Doge at 60, 70 cents. Um, at the end of the day, when everybody is saying to buy, when you really should just take a back seat and you should educate yourself and you should just be looking for quality out there. In terms of AMC, people want to make the mistake of tying on what's happening with AMC and tying that to the rest of the market and broad market. But I just want to say that it's a stock market sideshow. It's an entertaining one. Billions of dollars are lost every day. Uh, it gets a lot of attention. The meme stock, this very flashy headline for CNBC and the news outlets, it generates a lot of clicks. But 
Just do not neglect the amount of money, trillions of dollars, that's being strategically allocated by the major big players in this market into high quality assets every day. Don't make that mistake. I was just going to say, like, no, you guys are saying not to sell, but I want to at least recommend this as a great opportunity to learn to size out of a position. If you've got some profit, we're not saying sell everything, but this is a great exercise. Learn to size out, you know, take 10% off the top, 20%, whatever it is. So you, if it goes to zero, you're not left with nothing in your hand. Just think about that, you know? Yeah. But, yeah. Um, well, the people way often say, um, you know, you can sell your initial investment and leave the house's money. I don't believe that whole term with house's money because it's not the house's money, it's your money now. So <laughs> you definitely should take the amount of money that you want to, you know, actually make yours. Because once you sell, your AMC or your Doge or your Bitcoin or whatever, that's your money now. No one can take that away from you. And that's a lesson that you only learn from being in the market for so many years, making mistakes, having successful trades. And uh, that's really what you learned from um, being educated by the School of Wall Street. Yeah. Yeah, that's that's the that's the scary part is that everybody's so convinced this thing's going to go to 1,000 or 100,000 a share that nobody's selling. And then eventually it's going to trickle down to a point where everybody just says, screw it, because they're getting back to their break even. And then it's just going to drop it down to a buck, <laughs> which is where it should exactly. be. Exactly. Well, the, the, this whole environment is being exacerbated by zero commission trading. Um, people have access to the Internet and YouTube and Instagram and meme accounts, but also uh, high frequency trading, algorithms. It just all comes together and it creates this environment uh, where you can have these big spike ups in stocks on big volume, mass participation in retail, short squeezes. So it's definitely an environment where you see more of this thing happening, but all it takes is a couple of these things to really go down and really get hit and really get decimated. And then you're gonna see a lot of people being a little bit fearful and getting scared. We yeah. don't really have a lot of fear in this specific sideshow, as I call it, uh, but I just want to really reiterate, it's just one small, small slice of the market. It's really, just don't make the mistake of, uh, of calling this broad market. And I just yeah. want our viewers to know this because sometimes people ask us, oh, what do you think of the market? And we give our opinion and our point of view, but they're really asking us what we think about cryptocurrencies or about AMC. And it's really just a small sliver. Yeah, yeah, like this is all based on the move. One, one thing I did kind of want to say that I thought was a little bit interesting, I'm reading a book called Trading in the Zone by Mark Douglas right now. I don't know if you guys have read it or not. It is like, you guys know I'm, I'm huge into like trading psychology because I'm, I'm like so convinced that, that like if you're actually an active trader, it's like 80% technical or sorry, like 20% technical, 80% psychology because like all three of us could probably agree that we can show people how to draw support and resistance in a weekend, right? But actually mastering that where to enter and exit is all a mental game and it was funny because one of the things he was talking about in this book was how he actually says that new traders who have no experience are actually better set up mentally to trade than people who have been trading for a few years and the reason he was saying that is because basically his whole like one of the main premises in, the, in his book is he's saying that you have to learn how to trade and you have to trade without fear but also without being reckless so there's like he basically describes all these contradictions that you have to learn, which is why trading is so difficult is because you have to like you have to fully believe that trading is a game of probabilities and uncertainty. So you're not 
going to win every trade, but you have to believe basically that let's say if you have, you know, a 60, 40, where like 60% of your trades are profitable, 40% of them lose and your profitable ones are two to one risk reward. Then you know that basically he's like, you have to believe without even thinking about it, that if you take a loss, you should be happy because that means you're one step closer to the win. And on the game over a month or over a period of a year or whatever, it's a game of probability. So if you have a system that you know works, then every time you take a trade, if you have 10 losses in a row, it doesn't matter because you know that system works. And that just means you're getting that much closer to the green streak. And over the course of X period of time, you're always going to be making money. Um, but what he's talking about in essentially the, the mindset for a new trader versus an experienced trader, he's saying you have to trade without fear, but also without being reckless. Essentially meaning that you have to have, you know, you have to have risk management in place. But what happens is if you're trading without fear, you know, you get people like AMC here where they throw, you know, $10,000, which they barely can afford into a stock that's just hovering around 10 bucks a share with no support underneath it because they have no fear. They don't, they don't, they're not scared of it going down. So they just commit to the trade, right? Whereas if it was someone like us, say, who's been doing this for a while, you know, we know what can happen and we've been stung by those trades before. So we might be more hesitant. So we'll look at this trade and say, uh, you know, like, and we'll, we'll almost kind of try to talk ourselves out of it. If we were going to go long on this, we would try and gather information to basically say like, no, this isn't going to work. So those two kind of sides come in together where unless you fully believe in uncertainty, where you know through and through that it's a game of probabilities and that every loss will lead you closer to a win, also fully trusting in your own system, which you know has to work with that probability, then you can trade without the fear because you get into a trade and you have a specific risk. Whereas if, if you don't believe in the probability, you don't believe in the uncertainty of the markets, you'll have fear. And then even if the trade does work, even if the setup is there, you'll try and talk yourself out of it because you'll be worried that, you know, well, what if it goes down? And then if it goes down, then, you know, you think you did something wrong and then you start analyzing again, even though the technical setup is correct. It's just, that's yeah. one of the 40% that lost. Right. So I just want to exactly. And just going, just going back to what you said at the beginning in terms of taking losses, um, a lot of new investors don't know how to take losses. And it's like a game of blackjack where, you know, they're down and it's, you know, testing a, a support line once, twice, three times, and they'll make the move of instead of taking that loss and getting stopped out at like a three to 5% loss, they'll actually double down. And I think that's what we're going to see with AMC. We already saw it with Doge. We already saw it with Shiba Inu token where people should be selling because you break a very important support line and the max amount of people are in that name. You can't get anybody else in it. Uh, but at the end of the day, uh, people have been doubling down. I, I really, if you guys want to right now, I think we have to look at crypto because I just want to pe show people what's happening with AMC right now and like what can happen and what will happen. Because on this show about two months ago, we called the head and shoulders on Bitcoin. I'm seeing a bigger head and shoulders playing out right now. And with Dogecoin, there's a head and shoulders forming um, right now. And I think that speculators, investors, gamblers, whatever you call yourself, you have to pay heed to this. And I just think that, you know, head and shoulders, it's one of the most rudimentary patterns that you can look at, but there's still a lot that goes into this. Yeah, Doge, so this is Doge USD. Yeah, so I just want to point out, I'm not sure where that time frame is. Like, was that early it's, or it's mid-April? 
Yeah. So you're on the daily time frame. Sometime in April, we form that left shoulder. And this is like a typical head and shoulders pattern because on the left hand side, you have high volume there, which is exactly what you want to see relative to the right shoulder. You have the head setting up what looks like early May. That looks probably like when Elon Musk was on Saturday Night Live. And you got the head and you got the right shoulder uh, sort of panning out right now on that 50 day. So we got that neckline around, what is it, like 25 cents? And um, eventually you're going to get to that neckline. You're just going to kind of hinge to it for enough time. Then you're going to break down and you're going to go down to, I can't see on your screen, but what is that, like 15 cents maybe? Lower? Here? That dotted Here? line, that red dotted line that that, that you have. Oh, this, a little this one? Like seven cents maybe. Yeah. This one? Oh yeah, seven, seven and a half. I think that seven we're setting us up for a, a move there. Uh, and that's just rudimentary technical analysis, just looking on your screen right now. Uh, really don't have a lot going for it besides moving averages, simple head and shoulders pattern, and volume. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it's hard to call Doge right now because this last little rally was actually, I mean, it's low volume, but it was on rising volume. So that's, I think all the crypto is just kind of like in neutral mode right now. I think it's because everybody's focused on AMC, to be completely honest with you. <laughs> that, that could very well be it, to be it's honest. Like, with you. The thing is, man, who else is there to buy Dogecoin? Everybody that would have bought Dogecoin, like everybody bought it. And I said this on the show three weeks ago, markets go up with the least amount of people in them and down with the most. This is like a classic example of that, seeing how everybody was in Doge for Saturday Night Live and a Coinbase listing or whatever uh, catalyst there were. There's really nothing else. And what is that, BTC? Yeah, that was... So uh... you told this a few days ago, and we've been looking at this for months now. Like this is, a, a, we had a head and shoulders inside of a bigger head and shoulders. And this big head and shoulders is where I think we're going to get some real capitulation on Bitcoin. And it's uh, it's going to be a bloodbath. Well, it's... don't say that. I mean, David's going to cry. <laughs> no, um... No, actually, I'm because I I have the on-chain data, right, and that's giving me something really interesting. Like the last, I want to say, the last seventy-two hours, something really curious has been happening. Like it's not showing on the volume here, but there is something happening, which is um, the outflow from the exchanges are up one hundred twenty percent for the last twenty-four hours. The inflow is down like about eight percent. So on net, there's a ton of Bitcoin being taken off, bought and taken off the exchanges. And the entities uh, act, actions are up about 70%. So entities measures um, not just a single account, but a, a group of accounts that are known to be associated with one owner. And what we're seeing is that new new wallets are activities down, um, but entities have existed before their activities up. So if I'm reading that right, I mean, somebody's buying this dip and hodling. So that's not showing on the volume though? It's not showing on the volume because whatever they're buying, um, there's not a lot of selling going on either, right? So, so whatever is being sold, they're taking off exchange, but there's not a lot of selling, there's not a lot of buying. And it looks like it's it's between the wallets that are 100 Bitcoin plus to 10,000 Bitcoin plus. Their they're, they're, um, net, net, net holdings are, are actually up. But, and what's funny is um, all the retail uh, accounts with 0.01 Bitcoin all the way up to like 10 Bitcoin, they're just they just been selling like crazy. So that's probably retail and smaller holders. So, so just to give our viewers a little bit of a primer here and just to get sort of more basic here, uh, when you look at the on-chain data, what are you doing? And two, what do you see uh, in the on-chain data during a bull market and what do you see during a bear market? 
Well, so this is the first time I've had the on-chain data because it's pretty expensive. So I can only tell you what, what a uh, bull market looks like. But so basically, this is what's great about Bitcoin. It's auditable at any given time, right? You can look at not only uh, the wallets, but the transactions and the entire history of Bitcoin. So the, a couple of firms popped up and they basically provide on-chain analytics. So they look at wallet activity, they look at wallet holdings, they measure everything, <clears throat> excuse me, from the dates that uh, the wallet was created to the transaction times and everything. And so based on those metrics, they can measure how much activity is happening, um, who's selling. Like they, there's a thing called SPOR, which is spent output price ratio. And that looks at the age of the wallet that was created versus the time that it was, it was sold. So basically they can figure out how much coins were sold at a profit and how much was sold at a loss. And basically everything sold in the last few weeks was at a loss on average. There's people that cash out on a profit, but on average it was selling at a loss. And so that's why I called it also a couple of weeks ago that I thought I saw capitulation from the on-chain data, not from the charts, but from the on-chain data. And so my well, guess is there's going to be- That that was when it hit the 50 week, like three weeks ago? Uh, that was when we hit the main night. 29,000? The Elon, yeah, the twenty nine thousand. Oh no, sorry, it's actually four days later when we when we hit thirty thousand. So we hit twenty nine, went up, and then just did that thirty thousand snap down. Okay. On the on chain data, saw even crazier activity that day. So even though the price was not as low, um, that looked like capitulation to me. Although the because the 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 TA didn't look like the price was low enough, I said it looks like capitulation, but the charts aren't showing it quite yet. And so the reason I drew what I drew the other day was because I'm thinking we have one more leg down. I don't know what prices there is, but I, I do agree with everybody in that um, there's going to be one more leg down to shake out all the loose hands. But so if you I'm look thinking... at, I just want to say really quick, like if you look yeah. at the fundamentals from the previous week, there's quite a bit of FUD that came out and Bitcoin price basically didn't budge. It traded within like a $35,000 range. And it's, it's, this happens because all the loose hands were shaking out. People that are going to hold are holding, people that are going to sell are selling. And that's why the price is just stuck in this little no man's land right now. And but so do you I think, think that there's a bunch of hands that like, they're not super weak hands, but they're weak enough that if price were to hit a certain level, they would get shaken out. Like I'm thinking yeah. we're seeing low volume on the right shoulder. Uh, people are going to be impatient enough at some point when they see that like, okay, we can't break 40. We can't have a sustained move above like the high thirties. We go back to 30,000. We retest that 50 week again, form that right shoulder and start hitting like 28, 27, 25. That's when like we're gonna the pendulum's gonna swing from greed to fear. And then when that happens, you're gonna have a lot of people that said that they would never sell, or maybe they were buying more and they were doubling down in like the 50s and the 40s. Now they're gonna get a little nervous. And if you can just pump out the weekly on Bitcoin, you'll see a much better uh picture of it. So uh yeah, it's a little bit messy with all your fractals and everything else you going on. Um <laughs> But well, here, you kind you're of... going to like this. The price target for uh, 50 Fib retrace is about 23,800. So everyone's calling about so 25,000. Yeah. My target is uh, currently 13 to 14, which is going to be the 50 month moving average. However, I think that's going to go higher as price goes lower and the moving averages go higher and they meet. So I'm thinking like 15 to 17,000 on BTC is a good level. But if you look at the past two weeks, the week's going to end in a few hours. We got two like, really nice upper wicks i mean nice for the bears obviously bad for the bulls but that's like rejecting that 40k level we're like really just um hinging on that uh 50 week which i just don't like like when you hit a 50 week you should have some sort of sustained bounce like that's one of the best moving averages to buy off of and i think if you break that like where else do you go to 200 week 50 month 
there's levels there you got to watch. And uh, we just got to watch for like one, a close under that, a second close under for confirmation. So yeah, you're absolutely right. No man's land. But at the same time, um, I think if you were to uh, form that right shoulder and everything does play out with the head and shoulders pattern, that there's going to be a, uh, like a big wave of selling. That's why actually I think the best thing for Bitcoin to do is not to go up and get sold out because I guarantee there's a lot of scared buyers here that are going to get out maybe at a smaller loss or break even and they're just tons of orders. So what I'm hoping is happening is going to happen is like Bitcoin just breaks down, just breaks down, hits that, you know, just gets it over with the 23,000, whatever it is, and then starts clawing its way back up over time, just have like a time consolidation. Yeah, it just it just needs to be slower. Like in in my opinion, I think because that move was so fast, like at the beginning of the year, so many people didn't have time to think about their decision, right? Like if, if even if you're thinking about doing it for a long term investment, it's moving so fast, it might have just been like a little bit hasty to the point where you where you weren't fully convinced in your own choice. Yeah, there's. I think where did it start? Here, this entire move, this entire move from like thirty five to fifty. That was all people calling their friends and family and like, you know, Bitcoin's going to go to 100,000. Let's all get in on this. Yeah, I think that's, yeah. Yeah. So that's, that's, that's why we're, those are the people that sell as soon as it gets below that, which oh, is where we're just about to go. That's what you see at market tops. It's called a blow off top. And you saw the same thing last time around in like December of 2017, right? Yeah, um, if you can... If oh, you can uh, put it on a, a monthly just so they can really see the big picture, Bitcoin typically finds support at the 50 month. We did it in like 20, I want to say 2018. We did it in what, 2013, 2014. Like that 50 month is super strong. And eventually we're going to meet that 50 month. It's averages at the end of the day. Uh, eventually we are going to meet that 50 month. And I think that's this cycle. I think this cycle's topped which again is probably great for Bitcoin uh, as we like reset sentiment and we, you know, we retest a support line again because, you know, change in polarity, resistance and support, they turn into each other. My only thing is I'm I thinking um, Bitcoin is actually going to look like the price is actually going to be like the 2013 top, not the full top, the 2013 midterm top. This happened April okay. 13, 2013. I have a suspicion that's what's going on. And a lot of people, a lot of the OGs are, are suspecting the same. Um, but yeah, it, there's, because the on-chain data, like you were saying what the bear markets look like. I wasn't, I didn't have the on-chain data during the other bear markets, but some of the, the newsletters, uh, the people that I follow do, who are also on-chain analysts. And they were saying that the fundamentals or the on-chain data doesn't look like what a top looks like. Because there's metrics between the age of the wallets and the amount of sales. So they say that it flips. At the beginning of a bull run, most of the people holding Bitcoin are with are holding it uh, uh, the older wallets. And as the bull market continues, they start to uh, a distribution starts to happen where most of the coins get accumulated by younger wallets, and the older wallets are dumping theirs. And so there's yes. a point when that flips, and then you have the blow up top. We didn't have that actually happen this time. It only reached about halfway, so the distribution didn't quite finish. And so there's a lot of questions up in the air right now. People hate well, saying from that the time like we bought. Last year, Bitcoin went up a thousand percent until its peak, actually a little bit more. To me, that's a blow off top. Then when I look at not only Bitcoin, but I look at all of the other tokens below it, like I would love to see the on-chain data for Dogecoin. I would love to see the on-chain data 
for Shiba Inu token. I'm not sure if you have access to that or if we can do that another time or if we can even just look at different metrics, but I think that we have to start looking at just Bitcoin and we have to look at the whole crypto market. And I think that's just super interesting because I can bet you a lot of these big boy wallets, all these big, big, big wallets, these early investors, they were dumping their, you know, highly speculative new ICO token um, to retail. That's definitely what was happening with a lot of these new tokens. Yeah. I'm just Without a doubt. It looks like, looks like I don't have, uh, I only have Bitcoin, Litecoin, Ethereum, Binance, no Doge though for some reason. Oh man, what are you paying for if you don't get Doge? <laughs> I know, I'm missing out, right? Do you have anything uh, that's uh, highly speculative in like the top 10 or 20? Like what really, what really popped over the last couple months? This piece of shit. There you go. Let's see. Oh, wow. It beat Alton. Oh, look at this. Hang on. Look at that move. It went from 0.2 cents to. 0.8 cents, so 4x, did a 4x. Undecoin. I don't know this thing. I, all, the only, all, all I know is it was a big deal in India. Polymath, oh, I know, is getting a lot of... Um, polymath, yeah, that one I... A lot of notoriety right now. I didn't understand. Wait, are you talking about Polymath or Polygon? No, this says Polymath. Polymath, okay, yeah, I didn't get this one. They were trying to, like, It basically... went from 9, 9 cents to 70 cents, so it's almost a 10x. 8x, 9x. There's a lot. I, I actually don't know why uh, Doge isn't here. Okay, we should put like a bookmark on this and we should get to this next episode because I'm pretty sure that crypto is going to be lower next week than this week. It's a probabilities game and uh, oh. I don't... I did want to point out something interesting um, that I found last week. Uh, where is it? Because I was looking at, uh, you know how, what was it? Purpose Bitcoin is the first ETF, Canadian yes, ETF. Exactly. I was looking at their holdings the other day, and I found something very interesting. Uh, Purpose ETF. They so let me pull this up. So they actually um, that big red candle was about a week before the sell-off. So the institutions looks like they knew about a week weeks going into that sell, large sell-off. They they sold. Were they selling, or was that like outflows from the funds? Outflows. Like were... it, was out, it was outflows okay. from the funds. So necessarily then, not the institutions. It could have been retail been as well. Retail, were... High net worth. Yeah, yeah. High net worth. Somebody, it just felt like somebody could read a yeah. chart because they dumped two weeks into it and they actually bought the dip. <laughs> They've been buying the dip. The, the inflows actually started to come up again last week or two weeks that's, ago. That's a really interesting metric. That's really noteworthy. Yeah. And, and here's the crazy thing. Their assets under management is actually at an all-time high right now. They are now are holding 19,400 uh, Bitcoin. That's an all-time high. So this is a, it's an interesting metric. I mean, that makes That's sense. Good. It's a new, it's a growing market. A lot of people are excited about crypto right now. Retail is still very excited about crypto, despite Bitcoin being down from like 65,000 to now 36, people are still more exuberant than ever. Yeah. Um, there is something I want to touch on next week, but it's about grayscale. There's, there's something going on with that. Um, I think it's interesting, but it's a whole, whole episode on its own. I just thought maybe we could go into the look at the broader markets now. Like, uh, you want to say something about the Nasdaq, was it? Or was yeah. it? Well, I want to look at the markets in general. And I just want to yeah. say that I still remain very bullish on equities right now. And I'm still reiterating my belief that we're in the midst of one of the greatest secular bull markets of all time. 
I think we have to look at market breadth. We talked about it a couple weeks ago, but still today, there's too many sectors and too many subsectors that are participating in this rally, whether it's tech, energy, industrials, financials, the small caps. Even if you look globally, this isn't what you see at market tops. Canada's done well. Europe's done amazing. If you look at the French and the German indices, they've started to reach all-time highs as well. Asia's been fairly strong too. Uh, if you want to punch out maybe one of the global indices, like maybe the CAC or the DAX. Just going to say like, yeah, technology's up. Main, yeah, the main industries all here, they're all up. Bonds are all down. This is a good look. So you said DAX, right? Yeah, Yeah, the DAX. So, so this is the uh, uh, German index, which has names like SAP, Siemens, um, uh, Adidas, uh, a lot of financials, industrials. But you see like it um, has rebounded from the coronavirus lows. I think is that a weekly chart? You're hitting just new highs monthly. every single yeah. monthly chart. You're just hitting new highs. But even if you go to the weekly, the interesting thing about the weekly, we close right at the highs, right at the end of the week. Got some wicking action a couple of weeks ago. Like this thing definitely wants to yeah. go higher. And when I see global rallying with domestic and I see tech rallying with financials and I see, you know, uh, rates holding in and I see all this amazing stuff happening, you know, the US dollar weakening, everything else, that's just super positive. Uh, and reiterates my bullish stance right now. Yeah, what are you looking at, Kaylin? What are you thinking about this chart? I love, I love those little wicks. Yeah, that's wild. I actually haven't seen that before. That's a, those are pretty yeah. long wicks. Like yeah, on an index. That's that's a lot of buying pressure right there. Exactly, and you'll 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 see the same thing uh, with the French indices, uh, and I think the Nikkei is also a great one to pop up, which is uh, the Japanese index. Just gonna say real quick, like if you get three weeks in a row like this, that means the loose hands got shaken out for three straight weeks. Absolutely, I mean, so this is primed, primed. Especially when you see those dojis, it's like indecision. It wants to go higher. It rejected those lows, and there's just pent up buying demand. Yeah, the Nikkei is definitely a great one too. So it looks like we're forming a bull flag here. You know, we haven't made necessarily higher highs, but uh, this is uh, one index that I'm super bullish on. When you got all those uh, nice tech names on uh, uh, on this Japanese index, this is just something that I think is setting itself up for uh, a nice summertime rally. And with that said, I think the market's specifically growth and specifically the NASDAQ, which is a good proxy for growth, is just setting us up for a summertime breakout. Um, the NASDAQ's been leadership in this bull market for the last 12 years. If, if you can just pop it up, it's uh, ITSIC IXIC. So yeah, it looks like we're uh, in the midst of completing this four to five month basing pattern, which in my view is just a consolidation, a time for it to catch its breath before another leg up and a continuation of a, a large trending intermediate move within a longer term secular bull market. So I think the NASDAQ has to make a sustained move above 14,000. It's tried two times. It hasn't been able to really get that close and that sustained yeah. move higher. Yeah. But if you look every time we're making higher lows, and we're rejecting like 12,000, rejecting like 13.1. We close right at the um, at the highs of the week, which is great. A little bit of wicking action, as I'm sure both of you noticed there. I think next week is really, really key. Uh, we may not break it on the third time, but I always say like four times the charm. Like it just, it will eventually happen. And whether you want to call that a cup and handle formation, if you want to call that 
an ascending triangle if we have another uh, failed bid at 14k next week but eventually it's going to slice through that resistance like a hot knife through butter yeah you know what i just noticed is interesting it looks like it was tried to do an ascending triangle broke down but then it started to form another one a longer term one here it's very interesting and another reason why I think that it's setting us up for a breakout is if you look at the key components, the names that actually move the indice, well, you got Facebook, you got Google Alphabet, and you got NVIDIA. Like these are names, these are like big heavyweights in this index that are 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 big percentage um sort of allocations. And these ones are breaking out to all-time highs. And like if you just pop up maybe Facebook, FB. Like this name's been a beast and it's not stopping now. It broke out, it retested the breakout. Uh, again, nice wicking action here. This thing's going higher and this thing's going to bring the NASDAQ with it. Facebook 330, fuck man, I'm so mad. I bought this thing for like the low 200s at uh, the March last year, the COVID sell-off. And I sold for like a 30% profit. I was like, that's a pretty good trade, but I should just get the damn thing. It was a good trade, but you just got to hold on to your winners, as we all know. And hey, it's not a bad time to buy some of the names that are a little bit out of favor. If you can look through um, some of the, you know, constituents of the NASDAQ and you can find some of the names, for example, My like say an Amazon, say an Apple. What, what's your favorite here? Tesla. Exactly. Why is this not showing up? That's weird. That's weird. Here we go. Yeah, beat down. Well, you got to buy your favorite names when the market hates it. Oh, yeah, definitely. But Don't if you just feet. look at why Facebook's been doing so well, I mean, there's a number of factors. I, I think Instagram is worth more than Facebook itself if you put a decent multiple on it. Uh, I, I think that's one reason. But again, it's the advertising business. Alphabet and Facebook have been firing on all cylinders with the reopening and travel coming back. So Google's another great one to pop up. Um, Google without the at the end. Oh, you already got it. Perfect. So that has the same formation uh, as Facebook. So I think both those ones are like NASDAQ stalwarts hitting fresh all-time highs on a seemingly daily or weekly basis. Look at that uh, 66% earnings surprise for Q1. That's well, what I, what I love about these names is they're beating on earnings. They're beating exceptionally. Q1 earnings were nothing short of amazing, but they're having like post-earnings moves. So it wasn't just like a pop and then we consolidate that pop. It's like this is uh, a move that's, you know, be becoming a multi-week, multi-month move. It's a big oh, trending so move. Amazon's in this crazy consolidation. I wonder what that's about. Yeah, I mean, Amazon, uh, I had it on my chart. Does that look normal chart. to you, Kaylin? Sorry? Does that look normal to you? That's like some kind of bipolar epileptic shit. Uh, kind of almost as like NVIDIA, like a, like, a, like a month or so ago, doesn't it? it well, does. I have it on my chart. I, I have it on my chart that it bounced off of the uh, 50 week uh, actually twice. I'm not sure what's going on on yours. But at the end of the day, Amazon has a history of this, guys. Like, if you look back to the previous consolidation, it has very, like, lumpy moves. Like, it'll consolidate for a year and a half, and then it'll just pop, like, 100 200% in a matter of months. Like, look at the last one. Just zoom out a little bit, Amazon. Holy shit, that looks identical, NVIDIA and Amazon. But still, just... Uh... <laughs> <There you go. laughs> 
The same thing though, but but do you see Amazon like it, it gives very um it has very lumpy moves. Mm-hmm. And it consolidated for two years almost, and then goes from like two thousand to thirty six hundred in a couple months. Yeah, I'll see. I, you know, I'm just looking at a ton of fractals these days. You see that like they have this yep. sell off and and this this broken failed rally and then dipped and they just went went again. It looks like it's doing the same thing now, right? It's got this uh. This could be the broken rally, or that could be the broken one. But either way, it's it it looks exactly like a fractal of this one. Where is mm-hmm. this? Twenty eighteen move, yeah, two years ago, two years ago. So if I want to like rank like the technical setups of like a bunch of the top names on the Nasdaq, like I'd say in the top tier, it's Nvidia, Facebook, and Google. Then we got like a second tier, which I'd say is like Microsoft and potentially Amazon and Apple. Tesla's probably on the bottom somewhere. But in terms of the technical setups, it's like a rotation. And that's how these things work. You got breakouts followed by consolidations. It just took a minute to appreciate Amazon's March from 2001. Yeah. <laughs> nine-year also, keep in mind that's One a log form, guys. Keep in mind that's log form. But this is why I love looking at log. Is only like that means Amazon for almost 20 years has had exponential growth, not linear, exponential growth for 20 exponential years. Exponential growth. And it's just a beautiful parallel channel. Oh, my God. <laughs> That's unreal to look at. I don't think I've ever seen a chart like that. It almost it's a, it's like not even tradable if you look at it like that. <laughs> you know, right? Like, what is this move? This was like one year, a hundred and ten percent, and and look, you had a little bit of a pullback, but look at that support. Got right, got bought back up, and they just kept going. Like, this is ridiculous. Well, you said it's not tradable. You don't want these things to be tradable. Wow, look at you just want to tuck them away. Yeah, you Google this name. And if you punch out NVIDIA or Amazon or anybody else, you'll see the same thing. Actually, NVIDIA probably is going even more exponential. Yeah, can't even put that on a chart. Yeah, what is this, 2013? I wonder what they did 2013, but it looks like that was like the beginning. They They turned the company around. They just kept going. That's beautiful. Yeah, markets look great. Great because we were talking about Nvidia on your show. Nvidia has been my top pick for a very long time, since I want to say thirty to fifty bucks. But I was talking about it on your show at like four hundred, what two and a half months ago. And the thing has just been absolutely—it's been a monster. Look at look at our thing about uh, uh, what is this Intel. Back in April, beginning of April. Look, do you remember when we called this thing? Was it April or May or March or one of these times we were calling it? Was late it March, like, early April, where we basically said bullish on Nvidia, bearish on Intel. Yeah, what is that drop? And since then, it suffered a twenty, suffered a low twenty-two percent, and now it's down still about sixteen percent from that time. Like, and this is a semiconductor stock, and semiconductors are supposed to be hot right now. So, well, semiconductors are hot right now, as I've mentioned before. They're the building blocks of technology. Many of these companies, like Nvidia, are at the forefront of like every single emerging technology. You got the semiconductor shortage. You have a lot of positive catalysts, but Nvidia definitely, or Intel rather, has been the worst of the bunch here. You had a really good thesis with that A1 chip, the Apple chip, and then we're talking about. Um, um, you know, all of the arms chips and uh, how they're able to basically design um, chips for companies like Samsung and Qualcomm. So that's definitely been a catalyst there. Do you have any further thoughts on that? 
some historical ones. I actually just found out recently. So I think most people know that Intel missed a boat with Apple. Years ago, Apple approached them to design this, uh, they call it a system on a chip, this SOC, this M1 chip thing. And Intel passed on it because they thought Apple was such a small customer that it wouldn't be profitable for them to build a new fab and have a research team behind them. And they were so off the mark on that one. But I found out they had an earlier fuck up too. Sometime in the late 80s or early 90s, they had the, the opportunity to get a 20-something percent share in uh, TSMC. TSMC actually approached them. Um, wow. They said, we, need, we needed somebody from the West. We need a partner that has, uh, that has patents. We want to build the latest generation fabs, but we don't have the patents. And so we'll give you 23% of our company. Uh, Philips end up, ended up supporting them. Uh, Intel missed out on 23% of freaking TSMC, which is 50% in semiconductor market today. That's absolutely. I don't know, but pop up Intel because Intel literally was the main stock of the dot com boom. If you go back to like two thousand, I don't even think it's above its two thousand peak. (laughs) Yeah, dude, this was the main stock, the main technology stock that you would buy. It was like the Bitcoin of dot com. Oh man, that's such a good short setup. That was a one minute (laughs) chart. I'd be all over that. What is that? A ninety percent drop? Beautiful. Eighty-three percent from peak to trough. Well, unless you want to get really dirty and go like a few years, but still, it's eighty percent within a few years. That's ridiculous. You know what? Honestly, it's even worse a few years later because you have to think about the opportunity cost. Everything that went up from like two thousand and three to two thousand and five. It's worth noting. Well, I, I'm going to delete this cup and handle now because it doesn't look like it's playing out. It doesn't look like it's playing out. It no. could take a while for it to get back up to all-time highs, but like, who knows uh, what the company's going to look like. The new CEO looks like he's doing a lot of promising things, um, and maybe it's going to take a couple of years for them to turn around and reinvent themselves in a different way. And uh, it's going to take a while. I would much rather be in any other semiconductor stock. If you just pop up socks, I think that'd yeah. be a really good uh, sort of um, benchmark here. And it was ready to break out in January, February, but again, it had to just form those wicks, had to test lower a couple times. And this is my trade of the year, by the way, semiconductors. I've been saying this for a very long time, but I'm super long the semis. Uh, I think that they're changing the way that we live in every single possible way, whether it's NVIDIA leading the charge with self-driving cars. They do all of the hardware and software for that. They have partnerships with like Mercedes, BMW, Hyundai. Uh, whether it's gaming, NVIDIA is the leader of graphic chips, industrial automation, whether it's uh, biotechnology with new drug discovery, uh, virtual reality, uh, and even uh, when it comes to traditional cars, like cars are literally just giant computers right now. Uh, I'm not sure if you have anything to say about Ford, David, but we've been talking back and forth about that. And uh, NVIDIA is just in the perfect situation right now, and all semis rather, because they have unlimited demand seemingly, uh, but the supply is literally whatever they can produce, which is a great situation to be in. Uh, The semiconductor shortage looks like it's going to last for the next year and a half, two years. But until then, NVIDIA is just able to uh, pump out whatever they can. You know, they just um, released at the end of March their new cryptocurrency graphics chips, which alleviated a lot of the, um, I want to say, excess demand that was... um, really gamers were really upset about for the gaming chips 
And that generated $150 million for the quarter, but they only released it like the beginning or the uh, the middle of March. So the quarter was like literally like 15 days, $150 million of revenue. It's astounding. Yeah, it just looks like they have, um, there's some self-pressure right around the 445 area. What do you think, Kevin? Mm. Like, yeah, it seems like every right. time they hit that, reach that area. Yeah, we got, well, like if you look at the days that have the big bottom wicks, we got more volume on those days though. So I'd say that's buying pressure. I think again, semis is the trade of the year. From from this point going forward, you can't go wrong with socks. Can't go wrong with a really solid, good semiconductor company. Uh, that's where I'm positioned. This thing can go a lot higher. I think it could even be a double potentially. Yeah, I was um, just going to say, like, if people want to get into semis but don't want to do the research of individual stocks, you could. There's like, there's a bunch of good ETF options, right? There's a ton. I mean, you're looking at it right now. Socks, S-O-X-X. So this is just a basket of all of the top semiconductor companies like NVIDIA, uh, like uh, Taiwan Semiconductor. Uh, there's a bunch of them. I'm sorry, David, but Intel's a part of that too. But um, maybe a rising tide will lift all boats. You'll have to see <laughs> yeah. about that. But if you even just want to have exposure to some of the semiconductors, but you want to have tech exposure too, you can never go wrong buying a low-cost uh, index funds such as the NASDAQ. Awesome. I like that. And you, you you can buy that whether you live abroad, you live in Canada, you live in the US. There's always a good low-cost NASDAQ ETF that you can buy and you'll have exposure to Amazon, Apple, Google, Facebook, Tesla, NVIDIA, uh, all of the other big uh, NASDAQ uh, sort of heavyweights. Um, you'll pay a very low management fee and you'll uh, be able to participate in this next leg up in technology, which is changing the world. Yeah, for those that don't know, there's uh, management fees for ETFs or for different funds. And uh, the reason for the ETFs are being so popular because they're usually about 1%, right? So they're very affordable. Yeah, I mean, it really depends. Um, you know, you got to weigh... Uh, the management fee with the performance and with the holdings also like if you want to get really specific and you're like oh i only want to invest in this sector in this country in these stocks like you're going to have to pay a higher management fee for that right but if you want to go super broad based the management fee is going to be lower right right I love that. so while we're on the subject of like the big tech we just i just, I just you want to say one thing if um if you're getting the performance net of fees you can justify paying a higher management fee Good point. You absolutely can. If you're going to get yeah. the performance, you absolutely can. So uh, management fee definitely is not everything. But when it comes to an index that you can replicate very, very easily, like the NASDAQ or like the Dow, where you just like all of us can replicate the Dow tomorrow if we wanted to. You just have to buy one share of all 30 stocks and then you own your own Dow index. So these things you can replicate super easy is what I'm trying to say. And they're all passive. They're not making like it isn't like a mutual fund or hedge fund where they're making decisions on a daily basis and they're factoring your um, the requirements and the mandate of the funds. No, they're just super passive. If the S&P is going to add Tesla like they added in, De in December, I believe it was, they'll just add it and they'll sell it out and there's additions and sub uh, subtractions. But those are done essentially automatically. That's so I just wanted point. to point that out. 
Yeah, it's a good point. I think I think it was Warren Buffett. I was reading one of his books. He's basically saying like a bet on something like the S and P is basically a bet on the uh, economy. So as long as the, you expect the economy to do well, the S and P should do well. So like, yeah, I would never bet against the U.S. economy long term and literally progress of the United States of America uh, and mankind. If you want to bet on population growth and you want to bet on future technology advancements and GDP growth and everything that comes with that, well, you want to be long the markets. And in this day and age with bond yield so low, it's the only game in town. Speaking of that, though, the thing that could affect the S&P was of the newsletters or the news um, thing that I sent you guys. We didn't even know that they were doing that, but uh, the G7 got together and said they were going to enforce a minimum of 15% uh, income tax, corporate income tax, right? So yeah. I'm wondering if that's going to affect revenue, corporate revenues, or stock prices. What do you think? I don't know if it'll affect stock prices. I just, I just don't know if it's a really good, good idea. Like we've talked about this a million times. How like if you go after the, go after the big guys, all you're doing is just potentially hurting jobs for the little guys. I think the bigger corporations are very effective at paying taxes. Like they have a lot of money that they can, you know, pay their legal teams and they can, you know, figure things out. I wouldn't, I wouldn't worry too much about it. At the end of the day, they pay taxes and they, um, they find ways to do that efficiently. Yeah. I think the fact that they're, that they're, they've done it only to the big corporate companies is probably a better move than doing it to like all like, you know, the family owned businesses and stuff. So I know that's kind of been played around a little bit as well, but yeah, like the, the corporate companies isn't as huge of a thing, but as long as they're not coming after just like, you know, the random guy who's got a, you know, a business with 50 employees sort of thing. Like that's, that's when it, that's when it starts to hit home a lot harder. Well, I would be upset about that because especially here in Canada, these small medium sized businesses have been the ones that have taken the brunt of the pandemic effects and these effects, let's be honest, they're going to last years and years. So I'm, I would not be for that at all. Yeah. Yeah. I just thought it was um it was interesting that Ireland spoke up and for some reason they were against this tax. They're saying right now they're twelve point five percent income tax for for corporations and then you know the agreement says they're gonna up it to fifteen. But I'm like, well, if they're upping it to fifteen, wouldn't that wouldn't that mean that Ireland can now collect more revenue? Right. So what I'm thinking is do they fear that if if there's a base level of tax now, our company is gonna leave Ireland? Because they used, that used to be a tax haven, and now because it's not, are they afraid? You know, Apple, Apple, Amazon—they're all over there, right? So are they afraid that they're going to move it back domestically or something? What do you think? Maybe. Yeah, it's hard to say. Yeah, I'm, I'm not sure about that. I only saw the article about I want to say 10 minutes before the podcast started, so I haven't really had the chance to uh, do some digging and do my research. So I, I don't have too much to. Um, to add on that and just see how significant it is or isn't. I feel like this was more political move because Biden, uh, he was proposing that with 28% uh, corporate tax. And I feel like this was his way of kind of negotiating with the Republicans saying, hey, we're going to do this thing that you guys have been calling for, which is, you know, taxing. Well, sorry, they're, they're, he's going to placate the, the liberals. So he says, we're going to increase taxes. We're going to do it internationally, have this base. And then domestically, we're going to maybe do it like 22%, 24%, whatever it is. So I think I think it's more of a political move because I was reading that it, it's like it's something kind of funny math. I have to reread it, but it's like it's 15 percent of profit or some or something ridiculous. So it's like it wouldn't even like affect companies' numbers that much. So so I think it's like more for show and less it has less teeth. Hmm. But, um, but yeah, moving on. I was um I think it was a Thursday. 
this I, I remember um we were talking about stocks the other day. was it thursday that we're all together on the chat we're watching amc or something like that and then this tesla thing happened and it flipped out yeah i think it was, yeah, it was wednesday and thursday <laughs> so like an hour like an hour or two before freaking market close the cnbc dropped this news it was all over twitter too this so this uh reporter journalist laura Kulok, all she does is write tesla bullshit and this is like i don't even have to call it bullshit just look on her twitter feed and you can find it bullshit but so she puts out this giant headline, Tesla shares drop on recent report of steep May sales decline in China. So somebody on Twitter passed around this thing that says uh, May sales for Tesla was 9,800 9, units. April, they did 1,800, so 18,000. So basically they cut in half, right? So the, the implication is that tail sales went to half. The problem is it was by an unnamed source with um, unconfirmed numbers. And CNBC felt the need to go ahead and write a major headline with it. I'm putting this out there and, and the stock price actually went down five percent and i remember in the chat with you guys i'm like this i'm buying this stock this it's like tesla dropped to like 573 at low and i just market executed at 577 because i'm like this is absolutely nuts this is bullshit. and then what happens the next day the 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 um what is it the secretary general of the chinese passenger car association which is their association for cars they have to they're responsible for reporting all the sales and whatnot he comes out with a report that's saying that that number is far too low basically he's like it won't be less than 10,000 units. That's his official statement. And since then, a whole bunch of no other numbers comes out that says China's um, sales are probably around 20,000 on mark. And so <laughs> the stock price obviously goes up like four point something percent on Friday to, at the close. And I made like a quick 4% if I sell, right? But I'm like, what level of dishonest journalism here? Like, how do you not even, an unnamed source with unconfirmed numbers? Yeah, let's, let's headline that. How's yeah, this stock manipulation? This is news reporting in the year 2021, and I really admire the fact that you're able to, um, you know, go against the pack and you're able to do the exact opposite of what the average person is doing, because the average person seeing this headline, they're selling their Tesla stock, they're buying puts, whatever, and then, you know, they get uh, basically stopped out by the next headline or um, they just get whipsawed. So you're doing the exact opposite and you're profiting and you're not even profiting though. I bet you that you're accumulating shares of your favorite company and you're, um, you know, getting, uh, or you're forming a really good average price for the next move higher. And you're able to do that because that's one of my favorite things that I like to do. I love consolidations. I love corrections because I get to buy my favorite names. I get to buy them for really good discounts. Um, consolidations are my, my favorite periods. I just think it's hilarious that that like stuff like that still happens. Like anytime I look at news on a company, I just get it from the filings, man. Like just go to the yeah. go to BAM SEC, go to the actual company filings, go to the documents. If I see a news headline, I'll go to the documents and I'll see what's actually going on because I don't I don't try, I honestly do not trust any news outlets anymore. I just find it ironic that the SEC is going after Elon for his tweet saying that you know that's manipulation and whatnot. Meanwhile major fucking news publication you know does this and it's like not a peep yeah. not a peep it's a it's a big problem i think that they just pick and choose man like there's no there's no rhyme or reason like you look at what look at what's happening with the reddit guys you look at what elon does like bitcoin like the tweets he does these news articles like there, there's no there's no justification to any like which person they go after who's okay to do certain things it's like right I feel like right now we're just in like this big wild west of of news and information and what's right and what's wrong and the SEC just hasn't had time to catch up. 
Well, they'll go both ways too. Like if Bitcoin's up and it's up, you know, a couple thousand dollars in a day, it's going to be flashing green. Oh, Bitcoin up. This this person bought the new gold, whatever. And then Bitcoin goes down and it's like a red day and they're going to be like Bitcoin plunging or stock market down 300 points. And you really miss out on the big picture because they're just, as you're saying, like picking and choosing whatever's like the hot topic that day. And it's really dangerous for amateur or retail investors to be putting a lot of weight into these articles because um, these news broadcasters, they're not your friends. They're there for the headlines. They're there for the, the clicks and everything else. So you really have to, as you were saying, look through the filings, look through investor presentations, look through these resources that the company provides you. Uh, if if you're able to dig through some of the financials, the balance sheets, the income statements, whatever, do that. Um, you don't have to, but just do your own research at the end of the day and make your own decisions. And we always come to that conclusion on this show, but people continue to make the same mistakes over and over because it's human psychology at the end of the day. It's greed and it's fear. Yeah. Yeah, we say the same thing every single week. Every single time. And people yeah, continue yeah. to make the same thing. Goddamn questions every single week. <laughs> Nobody listens to us, but that's okay. <laughs> but it's okay because we're here to, you know, entertain. We're here, you know, for a little bit of education. And uh, uh, that's okay. Some of these lessons will be learned over and over. But there are, uh, you know, good bites of knowledge to be learned on this podcast. And if, you know, there's none of that, then, you know, we're just here for the laughs. <laughs> Right. Yeah, so let's let's wrap it up. Um, yeah, good episode, guys. So next week, um, I guess we'll touch on the same stuff. I just I do want to touch on. Can you remind me? I want to touch on that thing about Bitcoin and uh, grayscale. Yeah. I might forget, but yeah. that's a big one. All right, thanks, guys. All right, thanks for tuning in, guys. Perfect. Take care. See you Talk next week. Talk for next week. See you guys later. See ya.